Welcome back to the Hearts Unleashed podcast. We're turning dreamers into doers. If you're ready to open your heart and take inspired action on your dreams, you are in the perfect place with wonderful people. Here's your host, dreamer, educator, and adventurer, Abigail Gazda. All right, lovers, welcome to the Hearts Unleashed podcast, where we are turning dreamers into doers. And I am very excited to introduce you to Daria, a psychologist gone rogue. We're going to talk all about that. She quit her PhD journey and ended up founding Bunch, which helps people become a leader in two minutes a day. I'm I'm very interested in your theory and concept. So I can't wait for you to explain that to us. Bunch scours the internet for the greatest ideas on leadership and breaks them down to its users into bite-sized chunks and lessons. The app is used by leaders at companies such as Slack, PayPal, and TikTok. Numbers-wise, they have raised $4.4 million in funding. Yes, with an M. Dario also runs weekly leadership newsletter, the weekly briefing, which you can sign up for. And we will be sure to have the link in the show notes, which has over 5k leaders subscribe to it. And Daria, welcome. I want to dive right in. Tell me more about Bunch and its development. Hello, hello. Well, when I was listening to you, I thought this is a great description. However, we already evolved a little bit beyond that. So um, it's definitely started out as a as an app for new managers in particular, um, because we noticed that this is a very Kind of like a weird and funny group. Um, on the one hand, when one gets promoted into any type of responsibility in organizations or becomes a business owner, self-employed um, manager of any kind and is responsible for people and work and, and timelines and budgets, it kind of like always feels like this highlight moment for everyone, right? But in reality, it's quite a difficult, complex job in most cases. And we noticed that and being a former coach and a leadership coach, it was... The majority of the cases um, kind of turned out to be very difficult, complicated. And we noticed that it, there was very little preparation for that job. So like basically barely anyone knows what like management actually is and what leadership is. And we all kind of stumble into it and then we grow through it, so to say. So we started in that area, but we noticed very quickly now being at almost 100,000 um, users that... People are all around the world in different roles started kind of coming to the app. And it, we have lots of referrals as kind of like the means of how people find the app. Um, and we started interviewing our users, of course, and looking into uh, analytics as well and noticed that, no, it's not only managers. It's actually 30 to 40% individual contributors, just people at work. And so we are in this um, really interesting journey right now with our business and the brand where we actually needed to kind of translate what that means. Um, it's not only about leadership when, or not in its like very uh, specific meaning at least, but it's much, much larger than that. And the impact we're seeing is really going beyond just impacting managers, but actually people at work and how we work, how we, how we feel at work. And so I think I would probably say in a few words, like bunch works uh, makes work happier and, and basically gives clarity and confidence to professionals at work. I I really love that. You said something that really piqued my interest, especially for our listeners. You said most people don't know what management and leadership is. What is your explanation or definition of management and leadership? 
you'll want to know all these scientific bits and pieces, right? Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, so it's a great question, actually. So I think management is actually very different from leadership. Um, however, they're oftentimes used interchangeably and together because you kind of oftentimes need both or ideally you would kind of be able to display both. So management, I think, is this like very specific, explicit um, authority that is given to you from an organization or some other stakeholder group, whatever your context is. And the job to be done of the manager is mostly to structure and program and plan and track work. So it's actually not as um, sexy as it sounds. It literally is all about managing timelines, managing resources, managing tasks, who does what type of, uh, I think, job to be done. While leadership, and this is, I think, where lots of definitions actually differ and there's different perspectives on it, how I personally view it and also how we define leadership at Bunch is much, much broader. So we say leadership is influencing yourself and others in a positive way. So that means that leadership is situational. It's not bounded to a formal authority. You don't have to be a manager to be a leader. You can also just be a leader for 10 seconds by standing up and asking a great question and then sitting down again, and then someone else leads again. So it's we define it as a behavioral set, so like set of behaviors that is helping you to be constructive to yourself and also to others. That is fascinating. Like I love that I asked you to distinguish management and leadership because when you said management, I heard like the operations, logistics, you know, all of that. And then leadership being others, being behavioral, being relational. And I just really love that distinction because I think something that I've noticed through coaching and then our our listeners is um you know, people, there's like this get, getting your shit together, or I don't have my shit together, or what, like, I need to be more organized or consistent or whatever. And that just sounds so management based, right? Like mm-hmm. the logistics or what it looks like to run a successful business structures for success in business. And um, for myself, wait, you know, back when I started back in 2016, 17, I was a brilliant coach and leader, but I wasn't a brilliant businesswoman. And so Mm -hmm. I had to close that gap. And I'm sure Bunch would have been a brilliant um, app for me at that time. And so what do you notice? Because you mentioned like there's PayPal and TikTok and these big companies. Is this open for everybody? and, And where can people find it? Yes. So this is actually the kind of like interesting part about our story from a business building perspective. We started out as a B2B application because you would probably assume, right? Like when you uh, mention the company names and it kind of sounds like a professional tool. So it's probably a business expense type of thing. You get it with your job. What we noticed in 2019 is that the market is changing. First of all, Mm -hmm. we all know there's so many solopreneurs. Entrepreneurship is on the rise. We have so much diversification around how we actually do jobs. Like how do people... um, And it's full-time employment is long past like the default option. So that was, I think, one observation we've made on the market that we want to serve every professional. Our mission is to bring the power of a coach and the support of a coach to every professional on the planet. And then we can't just focus on like some full-time employees of some big tech companies, even though, of course, in the, in the beginning stages, it helps to focus, but our ambition is much broader. And so we noticed that in order to serve those people for a long period of time, we need to find a very different approach to building our business because we are serving that individual at work, even Uh if we also deliver value to the enterprise. 
Yeah. So we stopped at, and at, at that point we actually had paid customers already. We had started with like a web app and you know, like the typical B2B playbook. Like yeah. we are an HR tech company developing software for people in organizations to make them better in something, something we will sell to the HR department. And that's how we grow the business. So we started doing that. And when we notice all these things that I just described, we're like, oh, damn, how are we going to actually make this happen with all this knowledge now? We kind of need to really access you at work, not your employer, not your boss. And Mm. so we put it all upside down. We basically turned our go-to-market the other way, like 180 degrees, the other way around. And we said, we are going to go bottom up. We are going to focus on the user, on the end user. We're going to build a way of learning and growing at work and accelerating your career that is tailored to you. We're going to figure out how to personalize it to every human being, which is a very difficult problem to solve. And once we have done that, we will go back eventually to the business model question of, well, now we are still also providing value into the organization. How do we help the organization to participate? How do we also tap into business budgets and so on. But we start with the end user in mind and their impact and their the difference that we are making to them. And this was a drastic shift for us because also we had investors at that point in time. We needed to tell them we are like stepping away from this existing product. We're starting over again. We're saying goodbye to all this revenue. And it was very difficult to like maneuver and convince people around. And I do believe that was the biggest, like best decision we've ever made as a founding team and as a management team, because since mm-hmm. then we grew, um, I, I think 30X, mm-hmm. X, I don't remember. Yeah. And we have just introduced the premium um, app right now into your question, where, where can you find it? So that also means that every one of you out there can actually download it freely. You can just simply go to the app store, enter bunch work, bunch coach, whichever, and you'll find bunch, you download it and it's there. It serves you. It's your AI coach in the pocket. You don't need to ask permission to any employer or boss. This is literally just designed for you. Um, we just introduced the premium version. So there is kind of a lighter weight experience in free and a more deeper learning experience in premium. You can totally reimburse it with your employer if you wish so. But the important part is that you keep the control. The data stays with you. It's your account, no matter what happens to your job. I love that. I love the shift. And it sounds like you shifted that B2B to B2C, B to the client, business to the client and our consumer. And one kudos because not to make one right or wrong, but I heard, I was hearing what you were saying about that shift, walking away from a certain type of very reliable, consistent income to then serve the client on the ground floor. And um, not again, not to make one more noble than the other. I know that you started with the intention of supporting people and helping them anyways, and it developed and you realize more while in service. And I just, I commend you because I would love for you to share a little bit more about that experience because I too have grown in ways where it's like the, when you're serving, you're getting more clarity about the way that you're meant to serve or, or how to follow through and offer that to the world. And it can be really scary and uncomfortable, especially when you've gotten um, very good at one way or another. And so um, tell us about that to our listeners for someone who also experiencing a shift like this. They they know what's aligned for them. And let's. I want to add a, a certain type of listener, someone who's in a nine to five, 
who wants to take the leap into entrepreneurship or they want to take a chance on their creative endeavors and are very comfortable making very consistent and reliable money and uh, are afraid to step away to take a risk on themselves. This is such a great scenario because I actually happen to live with a partner who is uh, kind of has a moonlight like side hustle and has a full-time job and is very successful in both, but hasn't always been that way. So it's definitely very tricky, I think, to uh, to like navigate. Um, so everyone who's considering it or who's doing it already, huge kudos to all of you out there because it's very, very tricky to balance both, not burn out, have time for your family, your interests and all of that. So that being said, I think it's very important in these situations to set yourself up for success. I know this is a phrase we all use a lot, especially in business. But I mean it, like you can't just make the jump. Typically, and I remember this, uh, it was 2019, like mid of the year. There were a few um, catalyzing moments that made me realize we're not doing the right thing. And one of them is actually very interesting. It's a bit of an anecdote. We were still this B2B play. We had um, had found funky ways how to use machine learning to actually basically measure team effectiveness and then give nudges to managers to be better to their teams and all that, right? And then Wall Street Journal wrote about us and their headline was like the new ways your manager spies on you or something like that. Where imagine me and the art psychologist that is like trying to save the world and make like work better for everyone. Reading this, <laughs> this is my headline over one of the like five tools or 10 tools that were mentioned there. Obviously, this was a whole like misdepiction and, and, and we got, gained a lot of interest for that. So it wasn't actually all bad, but... It really stuck with me because I had this feeling from the get-go that the way we're developing Bunch is not somehow aligned with how it's supposed to be. We are we are really focusing and zooming into each this of these individuals that we help to reframe each and every challenging situation they have with their teams, with their bosses, with their colleagues to see the opportunity, to see like, well, you had a conflict or you got this feedback, it's an opportunity for growth. If you go for this, if you turn this around, you'll come out of this stronger. You'll actually win. Like you can win in most of these situations. Let us show you how. And so we developed these hacks and playbooks and libraries. And that's how this whole like curation moment came to be in Bunch. That I, I never thought I'm, even though I was in science for three and a half years and I did actual scientific research, but I never had the feeling that I need to be the one, you know, finding the new unique answers. I always had the feeling there's so much knowledge in the world out there and we don't have access to the right things at the right time. So I think this ethos was always present in in Bunch, but in 2019, it kind of felt like, boom, they really don't get us. Like, this is, we are not positioning this business the right way. We will never be able to live up to this potential that we have. And I remember calling my co-founder and our um, most senior uh, team member at that time. And I'm like, this and this and this is happening. And like, we've talked about this before and I really think we're not doing the right thing. We need to make a move. And um, I remember having this conversation for one and a half um, hours at, at that time on the phone. And afterwards, we probably had another five to six to seven. And it went so far that we had to reposition the whole business, right? We needed to restructure how the team operates. My co-founder and I changed positions. I was the external like business person, um, hustling investors. He was the one building product in the B2B world. We had to snap out of this because I was the coach that brought this like consumer experience. So I needed to step into the product role much more narrowly. So lots of change. And it took us, I think, six to seven months to figure all of this out step by step. So what I'm trying to say is when you consider these moves, 
first thing is like, don't be afraid to lean into that impulse that you have or that observation, that feeling, that gut punch. It probably is right. Um, most of us, when we are on a mission, we kind of know where the right way is, but just don't know how to get there. The second point is give it time. So it will never happen within a week or two. It will probably take you six months to 12 months, maybe longer to fully transition into whatever that next phase is. And once you are in it, or once you're like in this transition phase, also be extremely kind to yourself and everyone else around you and continuously iterate on your, what we call mental software. So you have understood there is a problem. That's what you want to do. And you'll probably update that mental software, especially in those times of transition every week. <laughs> Once a week, you'll learn like a new thing. And don't be afraid to go and like version it out, right? Um, for those that use Notion, no, um, uh, no paid advertisement at all, but I, I like it. I use it. So whatever works for you, take a software that like li literally like basically saves your thoughts, write it down. What are you solving as a problem for whom? What do you think this, where do you think this should go and why? And what is the why behind it that drives everything, mission, vision, the basic, the best understanding you have at that time. And don't be afraid to revisit it every Sunday or whatever. Make it a ritual and kind of like add version zero, one, two, three, four, five, whatever, until you get to a point where you notice that every week's version doesn't actually change so much. And that's how you feel that you kind of arrived in that like next level that you were going into. And, and when whenever this cataclysmic like moment happens again, I always use this playbook because it gives you kind of the ability to navigate and also gives you a measurement and attraction feeling like, you know, I'm updating this like mental model now once a week until it stops changing so quickly and then we're settled again. So find your own little hacks how to drive through that change. But I think the most important part is lean into it and use tools to get yourself through it. I love that. Thank you. Um, when you were speaking, I was remembering patience and perspective because there's a lot of people who are at the beginning of their journey who have no reference for longevity in their business, whether that be, you know, in career or in, um, well, specifically in their, if they're in career working as an employee, they might not have that experience. But as a, as a creative, as an entrepreneur, someone kind of forging your own path, even if it is a, a, like a moonlight side hustle sort of thing, most people are in their first, second or third year anyways. And what I heard and what you were saying is like, I, we were at it for a significant amount of time and very successful at it. And then the shift came. I also, I've experienced that. I've worked with people who've been in their um, businesses for an extended period of time where all of a sudden it gets like, okay, this is going to look completely different. And you, you broke down those and I just wanted to highlight them. It's like the moment of realization is very different from the moment of like action or follow through on that awareness. And then there's, you know, shifting and then there's implementation and then there's refinement. So there's just so many layers to that. And you're right about it not taking a week or a month or six months. It can take a year or longer. And I think to truly, you know, for the the shift to really set in in a refined way that you're happy with, satisfied by, um, does take a quote unquote relatively long time. I think in today's world, you know, I've built a successful business in six years. And when I think about I could be in a career for 50, you know, it's so short. 
But on day to day, good Lord, is it long and strenuous. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. And I think most of you that are listening are probably um, struggling with patience at one point in time, specifically when you think about doing things and you have these like energy bursts and like, oh, I'm going to start this project. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to write this book. I'm going to start this business and build this product. Um, We all know this. I think it's it's just so wonderful to have this like drive to do and bias to action. Um, And I think I always um, feel I'm very blessed to like even have that inner drive. I think um, a lot of, yeah, a lot of people out there kind of are, you know, struggling sometimes to like connect to that part of themselves and everything. So when you have that, cherish it, but at the same time, know that there is the other side. And oftentimes in change, and I think 2023 will be a year of change for many of us again, different than previous years. Mm-hmm. Um, you will you will need that patience. You'll need that long-term perspective on your life, your endeavors, also patience with others and kind of like long-term perspective on relationships, just because someone doesn't come your way right away. It doesn't mean they won't come around. It might require many conversations instead of just one. I think it's a very good reminder. I love that. What you said and the way you said it reminded me of one of the questions I ask all our guests, which is, what have you had to give up in order to have the life that you now have? Oh, such a great question. That brings me back to the first thing that comes to mind. I think I had to give up a lot of things, especially in the recent years and in and, and building a bunch, sacrificing lots of like security, uh, salary, living from funding round to funding round. Um, in the beginning, it's pretty funny, but then it starts to be less adventurous and you don't feel like this, I'm this startup pirate. It's so great. But then after, you know, three years, you're like, oh, people are planning families. How do I do that? <laughs> so I think there is this part. But I think what's more interesting is the story around the PhD because until that point, so I was 29, I think, when that happened. Until that point, I, I was this example of, you know, um, very like ambitious, disciplined, um, career oriented, not in a way that I wanted a corporate career ever, but I was looking for like, you know, achieving things. Like, how do I make my path? How do I do things I like and I enjoy? But I also make a difference in the world in one way or another. So I was looking on, always look out, looking out for that. And when I landed in the PhD program, which by the way was caused, the reason I landed there was because of the 2008 crisis, because that was my first job. And after I went out of that, I tried to like reposition myself and I couldn't find anything anymore, even though I had like, the best grades and the best references and whatever. And I decided to invest in education and training myself and kind of going into embarking onto this research journey. So I never really envisioned myself as, you know, like a professor for the rest of my life or something. I just I wanted to give it a shot. I was interested in a specific topic. It was creativity under pressure and at the intersection of leadership. And I found uh, a spot for this, and so I started. Um, and after three years, I had a lot of fun, and I taught a lot of students, and I did experiments and so on. I just like was really sure eventually that I will not be a full-time professor for the rest of my life. It's too um, slow. It's like too ancient for me. Like I can't deal with the speed of it all, and it's also very cutthroat. Like not in a good way. <laughs> I think entrepreneurship is also very competitive, but it's kind of more out there and like more open and you know, we're all competing for the customers, like attention and love and whatever. But in academia, it's kind of like really weird and very, yeah, different. So I I didn't really like that. And I felt like, okay, I won't stay here forever. And the problem was that I was born to a Russian Jewish mother who was also very ambitious and was always like pushing me to be ambitious. So 
And also education was like, you know, the thing. And academic education is like the thing. So you made it into a PT program, great. We expect nothing less of you. And then you stayed there for three and a half years. So you are obviously going to finish it now. And then you like take a real job. And I don't think I've ever deviated from that like pre-designed path for me at that until that point. And when the opportunity came around and somebody had suggested, I think it was a former study colleague had suggested this like business idea, or we talked about it together and kind of came out, you know, it always happens organically. And it was, um, and it wasn't actually a bunch. I had another startup before, but it was in the travel space. And we were kind of thinking about, oh, how why don't we like personalize the access to like every city that you go to? And we give you these like lists of things to do, and it would be so cool and data driven and whatever. And we somehow pitched this at a competition. It was all super non-serious. Like we just like try things out and we just go along with it. And somebody decided to give us money, 25K or so. Not much. <laughs> it was a lot of money for a PhD student that never like even dreamt of, I'm not going to have tech business. What are we talking about? So I had to make this decision whether I'm going to jump on this right now and kind of see where it takes me or whether I stay in my safety and my pre-designed path of finishing this PhD program and then kind of take a new job or stay in academia for a while or what. And the year before, like the six months before, I actually had also won an award for my like thesis proposal and stuff. So like it was all the, the signals were pushing me towards stay on that track. You were like successful here. But my inner voice was, oh my God, I'm a bored kid locked in a house and I'm looking out the window and I see all these fun things that I can do and I cannot do them. I'm like locked in this house and there's nothing here for me. And I had to basically um, step out of this like safety feeling. And I, I was really scared back then, mostly for like disappointment of my parents and not knowing what to even do further on. So like I, I was not sure whether it's going to work out. It was all very risky. There wasn't a lot of funding. And I sacrificed, you know, salary, um, expectations of my parents, all my... I sold everything I had, put it all into like this company, basically moved continents actually at that time. And I uh, started with this like project that I did for one and a half years. And I think, I don't know whether it fully answers your question around like what the sacrifice was. It just felt like it's a huge step away from everything that meant security in life and any order of some sort. I love it. It didn't. I, I heard your answer and I'm sure our listeners did too. Um, because giving up, the PhD program also meant giving up everything you knew to get approval, um, validation, right? Like, I think you said like the pre-designated paths, you said something very specific like that. And I love that because um, I, I too, and I think all of everybody has a version, some anecdote for when I mean, at least if they've chosen a path of growth and evolution, right? Um, a lot of people stay on that pre-designed path and and some never know that it's pre-designed. <laughs> you know, I definitely, True. I grew up playing basketball. I was a collegiate athlete. I went straight into education as well. And I really, I thought I chose that. And I'm not saying it was pressed upon me so aggressive, like aggressively. And I'm not saying that about you, but like, I just lived into what I knew. And then all of a sudden, I knew more. I had seen more. I love the way that you said, like, I was stuck in this house. And then there's all this fun stuff outside, right? Like, I was in the house and I was decorating. I was like, this is great. This is the only place I'll ever live. And I love it so much. And I'm going to cook dinner. And, you know, it was, it was, I was much, I was very into it until, until the day that I wasn't. And Mm -hmm. um, I think we all have those breaking moments where 
the, the, there's a fork in the road and you choose left or right. And, and one is more aligned. And it sounds like throughout your entire life, you've chosen the more aligned path, no matter how popular or, um, you know, or how much since people then, will be I think, since yeah. then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Since that moment. For sure. And it's really beautiful. And it's certainly inspiring and encouraging for people like us at the Hearts Unleashed podcast who are interested in also making a living being ourselves and all of that. And so um, I love this. And as we begin to wrap up, I'd love to ask a question uh, that I also ask our most of our guests, which is at this point, at this moment in your life, what does it look like for Daria's heart to be unleashed? Oh, this is a great question. I don't know the immediate answer to, but I think it has something to do with I'm trying to find and redefine um, what it means to be fully me, I guess, in the roles that I carry, uh, be it a founder, be it the CEO of a company, be it a shareholder, shepherd to my shareholders' capital. Um, I think getting over the parents' expectations isn't like really over and until you get to that same point in your like professional career where you have to get over the expectations of the other stakeholder groups in your life. So I think I'm, I'm entering this like teenage um, period in my career as a founder where not everything that my um, investors and our advisors and my board um, shares is like the ultimate truth or whatever, or like where I don't over index and overemphasize those perspectives above my mm. own, because I do still tend, I, I used to do that still, even in the past recent years. And I think I didn't want, always want to admit it, but I definitely did. And I didn't do it from a malintent in a way. Like I, they're smart people. Mm. They're there for a reason. We chose them. They're great. Why would I not listen to them? This makes no sense. You know, like it's, almost like rational to go along with their perspective. And I noticed that oftentimes I don't even hear my own voice anymore. And I mm. think just working with coaches, um, but also working with my co-founder and our relationship helped me also understand like, it, I'm so quick in shutting down my own inner voice and mm. just going with the bias to action person that is like, yep, cool, got it, let's go. <laughs> Where I'm like, wait a minute, is this the right way? <laughs> do we go the right direction? So I'm still working on that. And I think that for me, that probably means finding that next identity version of myself that sits in the driver's seat, listens to the signals coming in, but can ba- like balance this, the inner signals really well with the outer signals without them clashing or kind of being confused by the fact that both are present. Um, yeah. If that makes sense. A bit complicated, but... <laughs> Oh, no, it makes perfect sense. And what a beautiful season to be in. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, and so I love that you called it like the teenage phase, right? Like, or this, again, learning to listen to the inner voice, tuning in the inner ear and the inner eye, and um, being able to make decisions based on that, especially with the amount I, I don't want to assume pressure that you feel but like there's a lot of components at play in the business that you're running right and a lot of people at play and so um being able to step into your leadership role and really like lead from that inner voice because one other factor that's like coming through as i listen to what you're sharing is it sounds like a lot of what you do is data-based and now Mm -hmm. you're talking about intuition-based like that you don't exactly you might not have a spreadsheet to prove what you think and feel and what you know is right, but yet it's time to honor it. And so 
That's for a scientist and yeah. trading it definitely is hard i think to like my my biggest fear when i prepare a presentation for the team or shareholders whatever it's always like but then they will ask this question i don't have data to back it up and they ask this question like i don't have the exact data set to back it up and oftentimes i then hold and i'm like wait i do have data it's just not in the spreadsheet but there is like these anecdotes this evidence these realizations, this learning I made, I just need to like make it bullet points to make it like real. But um, I think that was also a, a big learning last year where like, I think writing things down for yourself will make them kind of feel more like data, even yeah. if it's <laughs> an Excel sheet yeah. and it helps you to listen to them better. Yeah. Well, that's actually um, funny that you say that because I feel like I, I'm trying to have this come through, which is for our listeners, I'd love for you to share for yourself. You mentioned writing. What are you doing in your life in this transition to really tune in that inner ear and inner eye? What is supportive for you in this transition? So I think writing has always been and still is an important tool for me. It's always been a love-hate relationship too, though, because for instance, specifically with public writing on Substack or on LinkedIn or on Twitter, where I typically hang out, um, it's been more difficult for me last year for some reason. I had to really push myself to like be vocal and I found a few moments, but like it's been much more rare than they used to be. And I'm, I, that being said, I don't actually have like the perfect solution or tool, but what I've noticed that I'm doing more and that has helped a little is to also be more vocal and not be afraid of, um, being more assertive in conversations as well. So when you actually have personal conversations, professional conversations, not like to back off immediately and not say things and also be more mindful about things that you haven't said when someone else brings them up or when they come back around, it's not so much about, you know, like, Oh, I've said that, but it's more about, Oh, I've thought that, but I didn't say it. Yeah. Look at that. <laughs> mm. um, and I think having this more stronger conversation almost with yourself in the open is actually, is something that I'm trying to kind of embrace more. I think it helps me sometimes. Sometimes it's also hard, but it's definitely a bit, it, yeah, it's a bit out there in a way. Like sometimes people misunderstand that as, you know, conflict you have with them, for instance. And they're like thinking, oh my God, you're just free. I'm like, no, 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 that's not the point. Yeah. <laughs> I am just registering a mental note to myself that I thought this, I didn't act upon it. Thank you for bringing it up. I need to learn from it. So I think more, a more reflective practice in whatever way possible for you, whether it's being through dialogues and conversations or journaling or writing of any kind is definitely helpful, but yeah. Super helpful, super powerful. So thank you for sharing that experience and what, what has been working for you and what you've been taking on as a practice in real time, it sounds like. So that's, it's really beautiful. Um, I want to thank you so much, Daria, for joining us. This has been really amazing. Is there any message you'd love to leave our listeners with? Definitely. I think that it's like such an old saying, whether you believe you can or cannot, you're right, but it yeah. is true. Believe in yourself because if you don't, like how can the others? <laughs> you owe this to yourself. So um, in 2023, more than ever, believe in yourself and it starts with listening to yourself. I love that. Do you know that 
That's from the Winner's Creed. Do you have you read the Winner's Creed? No, I don't think so, actually. But I, okay. it's just not, it, I, I don't know. One knows is from the internet, I guess. I thought it was Henry Ford somehow. I was looking for quote it, collections. And it could he could have written it, but it's called the Winner's Creed, and it's like it's like a, a you know like a solid paragraph or something. But I just I'm you made me so happy because I grew up with the Winner's Creed. It was on our fridge growing up, and I read it like every day, every week. And so you, I don't know, you just totally flashed me back to my childhood in a good way. And then I thought you might enjoy the the whole sentence or whatever. And for our listeners too, because it's... I'll check it out. <laughs> whether you say you can or you can't, you are right. And um, it's just so, so powerful because we are the, we are the authors, we are the speakers, what we speak our life into existence. And so thank you. And I acknowledge you for being so bold, so courageous to create, to offer, to make the aligned shifts, to live in alignment, to take the risk and chance on, on life, even if it started as like, Oh, let's see how this goes. Um, that's, I think that's where most of this stuff starts. So it's really inspiring. And I'm so glad to be sharing your unleashed heart with our listeners in the world. Thank you so much. And it's been a pleasure. Yes. And listeners, I hope you got exactly what you needed today to get started on unleashing your heart in this world. Thank you for tuning in and take care and we'll see you soon. We love you. Thanks for tuning in to the Hearts Unleashed podcast. We hope you found all the inspiration that you needed today and that you use it to take the next inspired action on your dreams. If you love the show, share it with a friend. We love spreading the love. For more information, to listen to more episodes, or to shop Hearts Unleashed, visit us at heartsunleashed.com. See you next time, Hearts.